Making News is a podcast about journalism and news literacy in Wisconsin and beyond. This is Making News. I'm Jane Hamden. I just try to show people how I see things, whether it's the sunrise or whether it's a protest or whether it's anything that's happening in our community. It is great to have Mike DeSisti with me today. He's a photojournalist and multimedia picture editor for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So a multimedia picture editor, What does that mean? How do you decide what type of visual story to tell day by day? Well, that's kind of evolved over the years. Um, You know, when I started almost 12 years ago, and, you know, when I started at the Journal Sentinel, there was about 16 photographers that worked there. And um, I got hired as just primarily a videographer um, to do just video. I started out my career, you know, almost 20 years ago as a, just a still photographer, and then got kind of geeked about doing just strictly video. You know, even as a little kid, I had a little film bell and howl, like little film camera that I would run around with in the neighborhood. So when I started my career as a photojournalist, you know, I kind of naturally progressed into using motion and audio to kind of tell stories. So that eventually led to my job here in Milwaukee. And like I said, I got hired strictly to do just video. And that was in 2008 when we had 16 photographers. And, you know, the the landscape in photojournalism and in just journalism in general has changed greatly. And fast forward to now when we have a staff of four versus, you know, 16, my job has changed quite a bit. So now it's it's a matter of juggling going out and shooting a lot of still assignments and trying to decide when is a good time to do video, when is a good time to do stills. It just depends on the story, depends on the time that I have. You know, a lot of times there'll be an assignment. Um, I'll take, for instance, the other night with the Chauvin verdict when when that came down. A lot of time, time is of the essence too. You know, I don't have a lot of time to, I'll shoot some stills and I'll shoot, you know, several quick video clips just to kind of get, you know, people an idea of what the scene looked like then I'll run in my car quick and I'll take those video clips, edit them together into one minute and a half video clip and then post it quickly. And, you know, and a lot of times, you know, that's kind of quick, you know, a lot of people say that's, you know, it's kind of down and dirty, you know, it's not nothing really polished and clean about it. Should I have a voiceover saying, you know, here's the, the scene after the verdict came down, should I have interviews of people? And a lot of times, you know, I think, You know, number one, I can get it done a lot quicker if I just kind of post some video clips showing people what the scene was like. And number two, I just kind of like to have people be able to judge for themselves. You know, like, here's what the scene looked like. I don't need to have a voiceover saying, here's what we're looking at. I don't need to have an interview of somebody on the scene telling us, here's how they felt, or here's how somebody else felt, or here's how to feel. You know, I just like to have the viewer kind of for themselves decide how to feel for the particular situation. So it just depends on the situation. And, you know, it depends on how much time I have. It depends on, you know, the kind of equipment I have with me at the time. So. Yeah. And does this approach kind of feed into how people consume news anyway on social media? What kind of responses do you get to some of these 
quick things that you're posting on social media. Oftentimes you're the first one uh, to tell us what the scene looks like in Kenosha or wherever. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's important too. You know, I mean, like the same thing in Kenosha the other day too, you know, people just want to know what is going on at the scene. And that was at a bar shooting that you covered. Right. Yeah. When uh, three people were shot and killed at a bar, you know, and I got to the scene the next morning and people just want to see what's there, you know, what's the scene look like who's around, what's, what's happening. And you just want to show that to them, you know, and I'll, I'll do that with still photos and I'll do that with video. And if you try to spend a lot of time, you know, waiting for like a press conference to overlay audio clips of the press conference and spend a lot of time editing and, you know, don't have anything posted until later on in the afternoon or evening, by that time, it's a little bit too old. So I've just been spending a lot more time trying to speed things up a little bit and get things edited quickly and trying to, you know, and I, I, I use my phone for a lot of stuff, to be honest with you, um, which is a lot different than the way I used to do things, you know, when I used to have larger video cameras and, you know, using tripods for everything and hooking people up with lavalier microphones. And now a lot of times I'm trying to use the technology that I have, you know, like I make sure that I, you know, if I'm using my phone, I get the audio source as close to the person as I can, you know, because you know that by doing it enough and making enough mistakes with the phone, that if you're too far away, you're not going to be able to hear the person. And without good audio, you're not going to have a video. So, you know, just by trial and error and making a lot of mistakes, you, you make do with the equipment that you have and you try to be able to just get past the equipment and just tell the story. But there is a difference between what a professional photojournalist can do with a phone and what the average person can do. And so what are um, news consumers, what are we missing when a staff goes from 16 photojournalists down to four? And you sure. know, so what does someone with a trained eye and someone who's trained as a journalist bring that's different? You know, I, I think it's a lot about just anticipation, understanding where things are going to happen that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily that have been in these situations before understand, you know, like, okay, where not only where maybe certain things are going to happen, but just understanding when maybe moments are going to happen. I think it's a good thing that more and more reporters have phones because we can't be everywhere. And there are reporters that do go out with phones and actually happen to get good photos too, you know, in situations that we can't be at, which is okay. You know, we're all, we're all journalists, you know, we need to be able to all work together. And if they have a phone with them and they see something, we had an intern take a photo at the primary election. That was probably one of the greatest photos of that day, you know, that a she UWM took, student, may yeah, I say. Yeah, a UWM <laughs> student. Yeah. I mean, so if she had not had her phone with her, that picture wouldn't have been made. So I don't think it's necessarily about like the equipment. I think it's about just being in the right place, being able to recognize the moment and being able to, to capture it. How much lead time do you have? I mean, when you have fewer people on staff who are doing this kind of work, is it just crazy to go from a dinosaur parade to yeah. <laughs> um, to a shooting at a bar in Kenosha. Well, I will say like the reason why what makes this job so awesome is a colleague of mine says this and I, I won't steal it, but he says every day is like a field trip, you know, because you just never know what you're going to be doing. And yeah, you're right. Um, going from, you know, a dinosaur parade to, you know, an unfortunate situation like a shooting is you just have to be prepared at all times. I know Last summer was one of the craziest summers, you know, in, in 2020 with the pandemic and with, with all the protests and everything. I mean, I remember that 
it was a Sunday afternoon when I was on duty and I was taking pictures of butterflies at doctor's park, you know, and posting them on Twitter and you can see my Twitter timeline, you know, oh, look at these beautiful butterflies. And that night I was covering the protests in Kenosha when, after Jacob Blake was shot, you know, and I had a gas mask on and I was, you know, so you just never, you never really know. It makes the job interesting for sure, to say the least. And you just, you have to be prepared too, you know, for all different types of circumstances. Did you always know that you wanted to do this kind of work? And then now that you, you know, are doing it, can you imagine doing anything else? I, I didn't always really know that I wanted to do this. I, I always kind of, I, I went to school for more fine art photography and kind of thought I wanted to do that type of photography. And then I got a job at the school newspaper in college. And e even then, you know, I did it just to kind of see if I could do it. And it, it wasn't like I found my true calling, you know, I, I did it and I was okay at it and I liked it. And I liked the pace of it. I liked the accountability where you had a job to do there's a story, you have to go get a photo to tell that story. And if you didn't, then you didn't do your job. There was no talking around it, you know, like an art, art photography, you know, if you have something's blurry, you meant to do it because it's artsy, you know, you know, there was no, you know, so I really like that accountability part of it. But then after I got done with school, there really wasn't a lot to do that I could find in the art photography field. So I decided to go into photojournalism. I like this job and I think I could see myself doing it for, I want to continue to do it as long as I can possibly do it, but I'm open to possibilities, you know, <laughs> I'm not very was, good at dancing. So <laughs> <laughs> it was such an extraordinary year. Um, yeah. How did um, social distancing and all these changing protocols affect your job every day? Yeah, it was pretty crazy because while everyone was, home and, you know, told to stay safe at home, we had to still go out and find a way to capture that story. And it was a tough story to capture, not only because it was, it was hard to tell visually because it wasn't like there was bouncing coronaviruses rolling down the street. You know, you, you know, I would see somebody putting a sign out in front of a building saying we're, you know, we're closing. And I would just like almost crash my car and pull over and park and try to get a picture of that because those are so few and far between. And then you always had to have a mask and you had to stay safe. And, you know, as far as getting names of people, you just had to stay as far away as you could from somebody. Um, when I was doing video interviews with people, most of the videos and stuff that I did, and another reason why the mobile phone came in handy too, because I was using that a lot because I could just throw that on a selfie stick and stay six feet away from people and do all my interviews, you know, from a safe distance. We would not go into houses, you know, if you were going to go and do a portrait of somebody, you would have them come out on their porch, you know, come outside and we'll, we'll meet you out on your porch and we'll get a nice portrait of you from outside, or we'll do our, our interview of you from outside. And yeah, it was, it was interesting for sure. You were talking about changing technology. And I know one of the things that you've gotten good at is operating a drone. Um, yeah. Can you talk about how you got interested in that? Yeah. I mean, I guess again, <laughs> <laughs> ever since I was like a little kid every year, I'd get like a remote control car, you know, <laughs> for, for Christmas and I would break it like the first day. And then, <laughs> so I was always interested in like remote control cars and, and cameras. And I always wanted a remote control airplane or learn how to fly one and could never get one because it was just so complicated. And 
So I was always just geeked about it. And then once the drone kind of thing came along, I started and I was into photography. So I kind of married the two and um, just kind of got into it. And I work for the Journal Sentinel, which is owned by Gannett, which is a large newspaper company who owns the USA Today and other several newspapers around the country. But before we were purchased by Gannett, I, we bought a drone for the Journal Sentinel. And this is before, you know, drones were kind of a thing. So I bought one and we would fly it around and I would do stuff for the Journal Sentinel. But then we realized, okay, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration said, okay, if you want to fly a drone and you want to make money to fly a drone, you need to have what's called a part 107, which is a, it's a commercial license that you need to have. So right now we have three pilots at the Journal Sentinel, uh, myself, Chelsea Lewis, and Jim Nelson, who are licensed uh, Part 107 pilots to be able to, to fly the drone, to go out and gather news footage. For us, I think it's a different tool in news gathering. You know, you know, it's like, it, for me, it's kind of like an aerial tripod. It's just a different way to be able to capture news or images or visuals in a way that you couldn't before, you know, anything from a train derailment to accidents or whatever. Um, we, myself and Chelsea, were just up in uh, Northern Wisconsin last week. There's a, a big ski lodge that they're tearing down. So we went up there and documented the lodge before they tore it down. Yeah, but we're, we have to fly as teams of two people because one person has to keep an eye on the drone and the other person controls the video camera and does the camera work. If you scroll through your Twitter feed, it's almost like, you know, you're chronicling the story of Milwaukee. Do you ever think about, um, you know, taking all together the way you portray a city and do you ever think about that in the in the kinds of pictures that you take, that it's almost like this unfurling story of this place? <laughs> no, I haven't really. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I just kind of try to show people. I, I think I do that with my job and, and I try to tell, like I teach a class at Marquette and I tell my students to do the same thing. You know, you just try to show people what the world looks like through your eyes. We all have unique visions. You know, you just try to show I just try to show people how I see things, whether it's the sunrise or whether it's, you know, a protest or whether it's anything that that's happening in our community, you know, um, you know, I try to, to do that and try to do it in an unobnoxious way, you know, <laughs> which sometimes can happen on social media if you, you do it too frequently or, you know, so I, no, I don't know. I, I, you know, just try to share what I'm seeing. What do you tell students about going into journalism? Because when you started, it just probably felt more promising or felt like there was potential for it to grow. And now there are fewer jobs out there for them. You know, I still see people graduating and I still see people getting jobs. And I mean, we are still hiring journalists at our newspaper and there's still openings at other places and people are still getting positions. You know, you, you think that there wouldn't be with the way you hear stories about how journalism is doing. And, you know, but I mean, I, I just hear promising things are happening, you know, especially just with us and how we're trying to kind of reinvent and not only us at the Journal Sentinel and, and at Gannett and how we're trying to, you know, kind of focus on our digital platforms and how we're trying to focus on digital subscriptions and, and how we're trying to go through that model of making money. You know, I mean, I feel a lot more optimism lately than I do pessimism, which feels good. That's um, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And, and, you know, I ask students too, you know, coming out of college or, you know, you know, they're getting internships, they're finding work and, and it's been like, it always has too. you know, I mean, like I said earlier, the thing that's been great about this job you can't like 
get a job somewhere because you know you know my buddy works somewhere you know you it's not who you, you got to be good if you're good at what you do you got a promising future in this profession if you're a good writer you're a good photographer it's promising for you what about your relationship with readers and the public on social media? Because that's really important for the journal Sentinel too. It's one of the few growth areas, right? I mean, you draw people in to the newspaper through that relationship. I just try to not piss anyone off, you know, on social media. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to do. And, and you know, you just don't want to like do anything. Like, not only do I not want to piss anyone off, I don't want to like share any kind of opinion, you know, it's so hard to do. Um, you can post pictures of the dinosaur parade and people will get pissed, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. You just really got to be careful too. And, you know, what you, what you post and how you pose it, you know, you just want to say, here's the dinosaur parade. People are marching, you know, not like, oh, isn't this the most adorable <laughs> thing ever? The Good dinosaur is cute. <laughs> Great. You know, yeah. You, you just really got to just be pretty, you got to make sure you're not slanted one way or another. And it's so easy to, for people to misread things. You just get people too controversial with stuff. You know, you just want to be very, very basic, you know, and I, I try to be a little bit humorous sometimes too, you know, without offending people. So. So for this next year, um, so th things are changing and um, you're getting back into the office. I don't know when, when you look ahead, what are your hopes for the year? Do you have any goals now that we're emerging from this pandemic? It would be nice to get things back to normal. Like, I think I feel like everyone else feels everyone could use some sense of normalcy. And that'll be a great story to cover too. You know, people getting back together, going back to church, going back to festivals, you know, Summerfest. And this pandemic is going to have lasting effects on, on us forever. You know, we're always going to have some effects of it. I mean, there'll always be some people wearing face masks for probably forever, you know, some part of the, the society, you know, there'll be like remnants of what's happened through this pandemic, you know. Um, but I think just covering how it's affected us is going to be interesting. And just the, the road to getting back to normal will be an interesting story to tell. Even just like, you know, doing Brewers games with, with, you know, the stadium, you know, 20, 30% full Bucks games have been interesting to cover. And then, you know, they'll start slowly start to come back to normal, you know? So I think that's gonna be a long story to tell. It'll be, it'll be a good, good story to tell for sure. Well, Mike, thank you for taking time to tell us about your work. Sure. Uh, it was my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Making News is supported by the Digital Humanities Lab at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee.